Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Welcome, everyone. Good afternoon, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Very excited to be here with you today. It feels like I haven't been here for a couple of weeks. Um, just a quick note before we start. Don't forget, please review us on Apple Podcasts. If you like this podcast, it helps people to find us. So if you go over there, leave us a nice review, and it will bring our podcast in front of more people. So would appreciate that. Um, today's show, we're going to be talking about working in college. I have some specific thoughts about this um, that probably aren't a surprise to those of you who have been listening to the show over time, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about foreign language. Um, and I have to say that if there was a question that I received most frequently, both when I did admissions at Penn and now here in my role at College Coach, it is definitely about foreign language. And usually, when can I stop taking this language? Um, you know, my school requires only two years or, um, you know, in order for me to graduate or I'd like to drop it for my senior year because what I'm studying isn't related to foreign language. And um, as with working in college, I also have thoughts about this. But I think it's always good to bring in some others to share their thoughts. Um, and so I'm really pleased to welcome to the um, show today, John Nesbitt and Lisa Bromberg, and they are going to, um, I'm going to ask them, you guys, can you please introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit more about um, what you do at Duolingo and then also maybe just about Duolingo itself. Maybe John, if you want to start. Sure, absolutely. Beth, thanks for having us. We're, we're delighted to be here. Um, yeah, so my name is John Nesbitt, and I've been with Duolingo for about four years coming up this November, which is hard to believe. Um, I should say, uh, I preface everything today. If you hear a baby crying, I'm sorry. Uh, that is uncontrollable right now. I am on paternity leave, and luckily my wife was able to step away from her um, work from home job to watch him for this hour to make sure we could record in a mostly silent space. But yes, yeah, been with Duolingo for four years. Uh, Lisa and I have kind of different roles, and so I work with specifically the Duolingo English test, which if you're based in the United States, you probably aren't as familiar with as a high school student because you don't have to prove your English proficiency uh, to be accepted to a college, most likely. Uh, if you are listening or finding this on YouTube or other channels or podcasts around the world, then you probably know about the Duolingo English test and you've heard a lot about it. Um, the, the skinny real fast is that it's an accessible, adaptable, computer-adapted test. You can be taken anywhere in the world with Wi-Fi. You need about an hour's worth of time. Um, podcast is not about that today, but that's what I do. And specifically, uh, I'm what's known as an engagement manager. So I work with universities across the U.S., either telling them a little bit more about the test in an effort to get them to adopt the test as one of the options for international students. And if they already do accept the test in, in lieu of or in parity with the TOEFL or IELTS, then it's really more of a relationship management post. Um, now, I should say really fast before I let Lisa take the mic that the reason I'm in this role working with admissions officers and directors and deans is that in my previous life, I was an admissions officer at Vanderbilt University for about 12 years. 
Uh, and in that time, I was the co-chair of international recruitment for about nine of those years and, and got, had the fortunate chance to, to travel and recruit students around the world. I think I went to something um, close to 60 countries in that wow. time and really appreciated seeing all the different cultures, learning about the food, the history. But I really did see a common roadblock and a very common obstacle or obstacles in the way of international students. And so when, when Duolingo came calling uh, and, and it's such an access driven mission and with the Duolingo English test, really trying to change how testing works, how access works, uh, I could not say no. And so luckily hopped on. And, and like I said, I've been here four years. I'm delighted to spend some time with you all today. Awesome. Lisa, I'll pass it off to you. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you also uh, for having us. So really excited to be here. Um, I'm Lisa Bromberg and at Duolingo, uh, I am a learning and curriculum senior manager, which is to say that I'm one of uh, many learning experts at the company and I work on the core language learning app that you're probably most familiar with. Um, my role is to lead product teams that focus on our main language learning experience and figure out how to make it more effective. Um, so I guide and advise team members on product changes or developments, uh, always with the goal of improving learning outcomes. Awesome. Uh, so before Duolingo, uh, do you want me to talk a little bit about what Yeah, that'd be great. Duolingo? Would yeah, love sure. it. So, um, I taught middle and high school French for several years. Um, and then I went on to graduate school uh, where I got a PhD in French studies. Um, and so I've taught uh, I've taught world language, French, and a little bit of Spanish, both to high school students and to college students. So I've seen students on both sides of this transition that we're thinking about today. Um, and importantly, I think for our conversation also to know is that I studied abroad uh, in France, first as a high school student um, when I was a senior in high school, and then again as a junior in college. Um, and then I also worked briefly in France teaching high school English. So I've had a lot of study abroad experience as well. And a lot of teaching uh, a language as a foreign language, right? So that's that's very exciting. Um, I perhaps should tap you to help my French get better than it is because after many years of study, I am not remotely close to being fluent. But that's a story for perhaps a little bit later in today's podcast. Um, so clearly we've stacked the deck here a little bit, right? We, uh, we've invited guests on who I expected and anticipated would share my philosophy, which is that I do find foreign language to be incredibly valuable and incredibly important for students. Um, I encourage all of my students to stick with foreign language. Most of them do, not all of them do. And by stick with, I mean all the way through to the end of high school. And a lot of that is based on my experience at Penn, where I did expect to see students not only sticking with all five major subjects, math, science, English, history, and foreign language, but going to the highest level available in all five major subjects. And John, I'm guessing that was not dissimilar from what your, your expectation, expectations were at Vanderbilt. Maybe you could share a little bit more about what you saw as the impact on continuing with foreign language when you were there. Yeah, absolutely. Beth, very similar to your experience at a highly selective university. You know, we're, we're expecting to see um, students excel in all five areas, not just be pretty good or be really good in one or two areas, but truly excel across the board. Um, and I think that's an important you know, perspective for students to have when they're in the admissions process is to ask themselves, what will the other applicants look like? Um, and if I'm going to choose the easy road and not take foreign language for one more year for whatever reason, um, that might not look so well. Um, 
for me against this other applicant pool. Uh, even if you're at a less selective university, it, it's still the same. Um, and I think as far as kind of preparing you and how it can impact you, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, spoiler alert for all you students out there, you're, you're, you're choosing to pursue an education for four more years or maybe eight, depending on what you're doing, because you want to learn. You have that desire to join the liberal arts. And another big part of the application process um, is that we're always, or I should say we, I don't do it anymore, but you know, as Beth knows, once you do it for a while, as we did, it kind of stays with you for a while. Once an admissions officer, always one. Um, but what admissions officers around the world are looking at, specifically in the U.S., of course, is that you, you have a good fit for that university. And any of the universities we're talking about, part of that fit is going to be coming into a liberal arts curriculum. Even if you're engineering, even if you're pre-med, pre-business, whatever any of the pre-fields are, you're still going to have some component that is going to be that liberal arts. And again, hate to ruin the surprise for many of you students, but you're also going to be asked to take a college level foreign language course, maybe one semester, maybe a full year. Um, and so you're going to continue on with this education, whether you like it or not. So not only do you want to look your best in the admissions process, but you want to set yourself up for success, specifically success in your first year, even your first semester. And knowing Spanish, French, Portuguese, whatever, really well, and coming in and being able to take that first-year class and having a good experience and runway into your uh, college experience, I think, is, is a much better path than not taking it, uh, sitting a year on the sidelines, not getting familiar with the language. And we know what's setting a foreign language. When you take that much time off, it's hard to get back into it. Um, and, and I can tell you from personal experience, uh, even though I did take all four years of, of high school language, that first-year 101 course is still very difficult, even if you have a little bit of understanding coming in. Um, so I think for a lot of those reasons, right, the admissions process is one of them, but also just in, in general, if you're coming to explore and to learn and to be curious, we want to see that you're willing to learn and grow and maybe push through uh, that senior year. I don't love the subject as much as maybe math or science. That's fine. Let's still see how you can do it in this. It's going to be okay. It's not that big of a struggle. Right, right. Lisa, I would love to get, as someone who has been an educator and currently now is involved in the education process through Duolingo. Your thoughts on how maybe learning a foreign language, um, why that's so important from your perspective for, for students and for people in general? Yeah, definitely. This is something that I've thought about a lot. And especially as a, as a French teacher, um, you know, having to kind of encourage students to sign up for my course, encourage parents to um, encourage their their children to continue with a foreign language. Um, and so there's sort of like a usual spiel here around um, knowing a foreign language, uh, preparing you to access other disciplines as well. So the words, vocabulary that you learn in foreign language often lays the groundwork for being able to more quickly grasp concepts that you might find in a pre-med program or a pre-law program. Um, those Latin roots are kind of everywhere. And, and certainly, you know, if you're thinking about graduate school and GRE and SAT and test taking, like knowing foreign language um, can really help you prepare to really prepare you to be successful at some of those, um, those other tasks. Um, but then there's also sort of a, a, a life reason, I think, to, to study a foreign language. Um, and, no, and, and what this comes down to for me is really, uh, being a type, the type of person who's willing to expand their worldview. And John was sort of alluding to this, that colleges are really looking 
for students who are who are interested in growing, who are interested in pushing past a boundary and who are curious. And it doesn't mean that you need to have shown that you've already been successful at all of those things, but just showing that you're willing, you're somebody who's interested and curious um, really comes out in the admissions process, but it also comes out in all of your relationships. Um, so I think, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for how foreign language really forces you to kind of train that muscle, um, that that muscle that says, I'm adaptable, I'm open-minded, I'm flexible, I'm willing to think outside the box. And that's something that you can take with you no matter what discipline you ultimately major in or whatever employment or job or profession you pursue. Um, this is this is something, these are the transferable skills that you learn in a world language classroom. Yeah. And, and, as I mentioned at the start, I'm a big fan of this, and I can see in my own life um, multiple different ways in which studying a foreign language or not studying a foreign language has had impact. And, um, you know, one example, I, what's the thing we always that I, we frequently hear students say, and quite honestly, I hear adults say it too, when the kids are studying, let's say, geometry or they're studying algebra, like, when am I ever going to use this in life? And it can be really tempting to say that about foreign language. And yet, right? And yet we live in a country where um, there are a number of people who speak, well, there are a number of people who speak languages other than English, but certainly um, right now I'm in New York City. My best friend who is a doctor um, who practices in New Jersey, but did her training in New York City and has worked in hospitals in New York City, in Florida, in New Jersey, um, has essentially become fluent in Spanish over the years. Not something, I don't believe she, she may have taken a year or two of that in, in um, college, but really, and it's less because of the patients, although that's a piece of it, but a lot of the people with whom she worked, the nurses, the other hospital um, attendants and the different people who work in that field speak Spanish. So she either needs to be able to speak that language so that she can communicate with all those people and perhaps maybe know what they're saying um, if they are trying to, you know, say things around the corner that she can't understand. You know, she needs to be able to understand that. And um, and it does, it helps her create a really good working environment wherever she is. Um, but it also helps her create a good working environment, of course, with patients when she has patients who speak a foreign language. So for me, there's a great great example of maybe you would think you wouldn't need that. You, you're a, a doctor practicing in a certain field and, you know, most of her patients are not, they are English speakers, but a lot of the people with whom she works speak another language and you wouldn't really think about that. And I'm curious if you guys have seen this pop up in other areas of your own lives. Yeah, I'll just speak to that quickly. Just hearing your story, I friends who have the similar stories and um, but it's just that some of that cross-cultural competencies that you need to have to be successful in the world now um, and that's one of them and being exposed and learning a language helps you open up that door I mean for, for me it was studying Italian and then the door really opening up of understanding more about the food the culture and, and all these different examples and so um, I think that cross-cultural competency is big and then I think also Depending on what you're going to do, um, it could be something like a global organization like Lisa and I work in where I don't even know how many nationalities we have or languages we 
have spoken, but it, it is vast. It's probably, it, I, would, I don't know, he says like almost half of our company. I mean, it's very big. It's a, it's a very different place to work. Of course, you might not be going into that, um, but but you might want to explore that option or you might be going into another field like Beth mentioned. But Lisa, I'll, I'll pass the mic over to you to hear. Get your thoughts yeah, on that. Totally. Yeah. I mean, just to add to that. So, um, so this past year, my son learned how to read um, and I watched his world literally get bigger, right? Like there are signs and there's text and there are words all around us that were just totally uh, inaccessible to him. And now our spaces that he can enter into, it's literally like doors have opened and his world got bigger. Um, and so he has a new independence, right? He has, he's able to tell me what area of the library he wants to go to and direct the show a little bit because he has access, uh, to this, to this bigger space, right? Um, and it, it's a lot like learning a world language. Um, you don't know what you're missing out on if you can't literally see the words in front of you. Yeah. You don't, you can't even identify that these are letters and they form words and they have meaning and they suggest something or they direct you to something or they're pointing your attention, right? In a certain way. Um, and, and so it's, it, it's hard to even imagine what opportunities are going to come around the corner and what you might miss out on if you literally can't read them, you can't see them in front of you. Um, and so, like, for me, this kind of comes down to this this somewhat cliche that knowledge is power, right? And being able to read is power. Being able to speak another language, identify another language, access another language that gives you a certain power in having more information, being able to make decisions that are relevant to you because you have the information that you might not have had otherwise um, and just being able to engage with the world in this deeper way. Um, yeah. Well, I, I and, just, oh, sorry. Go, John. Oh, sorry, but I, I was just going to say, too, I mean, I think in addition to what Lisa's saying, and that's a really cool story. And I actually I can't wait for, for my children, <laughs> my two kids to, to be able to it's read awesome. that quite a moment. My, my son just started laughing this week, which has been quite a milestone. But I think two things came to mind. One, in addition to kind of what we've been saying, you, in, in many cases, if you're joining a Penn or a Vanderbilt, which obviously everyone out there listening might not be, but you're joining a global campus that has a sizable 15, 20% of the campus population is not US based or not domestic. And, and so you want to be able to immerse yourself in that, right? And, and be a good, I think a good classmate and a colleague to people coming from around the world that you might have a, a way to communicate or to, to let them in a little bit and open up a little bit. But, you know, I think for students too, and I would, used to talk with them at Vanderbilt, I would tell them, you know, all the reasons we mentioned about taking it, but then also just for your own right, don't you want to study abroad? Don't you want to have the option to be able to do that? And when you go abroad, don't you want to know like even just a little bit of the language, even just one semester or years worth of language so that you're not missing out on the experience? I mean, I remember when I was, um, I, I studied Italian. My, my own story was I studied Latin in high school because everyone says, right, it's going to help you with all the tests in college and everything, right? And well, it was fine. I liked it okay. But then I <laughs> chose Italian in college because I knew I wanted to study abroad. Um, and I was studying art history as well. And I remember when I started learning derivation of words, and one of them was nepotism. And then, you know, a light bulb went off. Oh, my gosh, nepote is Italian for nephew. The popes would give their nephews the most important positions, like cardinals. That's what nepotism means. And there were all these examples of like that. And Lisa, you just said kind of my world just getting bigger and bigger and understanding more and more about what was going on. 
But um, I always tell students, hey, get to study abroad. And then if you want to stop a language for a while or for a long time, by all means, but you're really robbing yourself uh, of that potential experience and opportunity. And then who knows, as, as Lisa was just saying, what that experience might lead to the next one or to an internship or to a job or a career opportunity or a chance to make a difference in someone's life. And and I'm going to jump in here, too, because let's say you're listening and you're saying, nope, I don't want to study abroad. Not interested in that. Not for me. OK, I totally can appreciate that as well. Let me share another experience from my own life where, um, you know, maybe you do still enjoy traveling. Um, I've traveled a few times. I did also study abroad. Um, I actually went to Paris in, when I was a junior in college. Um, and I've since gone back a number of times. And one year we went um, to an area of France that's right on the border of Germany. And um, when I'm in France, I am a hundred percent not fluent, but I definitely know enough French to kind of get around. And I've been to places where the people I was speaking with did not speak any English and I was able to get by. Um, but when we went over the border into Germany, we went to have dinner and truly the menu was, you know, I could, I didn't know one thing on that menu. It, it was so foreign to me as to be almost mind blowing. And yet when I've been to Italy, when I have been to Portugal, when I've been to Spain, I can figure that out because of the similarities. So again, does it open up the whole world to me? But it was very distinct how closed Germany felt just from the perspective of being able to understand what was even on a menu versus how I felt when I've traveled in countries where they either speak French or they speak languages that have similarities to French. Um, right. And, and I feel lost, honestly. I mean, when I would go on the road for <clears throat> international admissions in our small group and travel in China or Japan or places where I, I didn't know anything, I mean, you just feel lost and closed off and a little like you're in this bubble of like, okay, let me just get to where I need to go and, and move. But then, you know, like you said, when you when you go to a place where you understand the language, for me, it would be when we would get to go to Italy and recruit students. And for those two days, I felt like I could help our small group order. I could figure out what time the trains, you know, all those different things. Um, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's very empowering, too. And Lisa, I, I like what you were saying about how the world has opened up for your son now that he can read and how it opens up if you if you know a language. I think the biggest transformation in me after I went abroad for a semester was less, unfortunately, in my French, which didn't necessarily improve a tremendous amount, but certainly in the feeling of, I am a, an independent person. I lived on my own in a foreign country and, you know, and spoke the language. And I really emerged from that as a stronger, more confident person. And, and that was exciting for me. And to even recognize it, that it was so distinct in my own brain that I recognized that I was a different person um, when I returned. Um, I want to shift gears slightly. And um, yeah. one of the big challenges that a lot of students have in continuing with a language or one of their perceived challenges is that I just don't get it. My brain doesn't work that way. Or, you know, it's it's hard. And a lot for a lot of students, they don't really like to do hard things. And so, Lisa, I'm curious if you could identify, are there ways in which you might recommend a student who feels like they struggle for better or worse in a language or could use outside help? How might Duolingo, you know, step into that role for them? Yeah, I mean, I think Duolingo is an awesome supplement to the classroom. Um, it's also a great way to start a new language if you want to learn a language that maybe your high school or even your university isn't offering. Um, 
And the nice thing about Duolingo is that it's very game-like and bite-sized. So if you're someone who feels like, yeah, my brain doesn't work this way, or this has always been a struggle, um, there are a lot of gamification mechanics, motivation mechanics that are designed to keep, like, help you stick with it, um, even when you feel like you're struggling. Um, And little by little, you'll learn, even if you don't realize you're learning. Um, so Duolingo adopts a sort of implicit approach to teaching, which means that we're not going to we're not going to sort of pound your head with a lot of lengthy grammatical explanations or uh, metalinguistic information. Um, rather, you know, you just play the game and don't think about it. And, uh, you know, 15 minutes a day, every day um, or most days of the week, let's say. Um, you'll you suddenly you'll wake up and and you'll think, wait, I I think I know that or I I got that or the one that I got wrong yesterday feels easier today. Um, so so that's kind of how how Duolingo works and can be a great a great uh, supplement if if you're struggling in the classroom. Yeah, and I so I love that, and actually I had forgotten, and literally until you mentioned that um, the gamification of it, that during COVID, when my son was home. Um, his sophomore year, he was interested. He, we both, we have German heritage in our background and he takes, took French in high school um, and really liked it and actually had been supposed to go on an immersion trip to Paris uh, in that summer. But of course that all got canceled. Um, But he decided he was going to maybe learn a little German and he turned to Duolingo for that. And he really enjoyed it because it was kind of a game. And um, his school didn't offer German and he eventually that kind of fell by the wayside when he went back to, you know, having to study the subjects that he had to do for high school. But I personal experience with a teenager in my home found that Duolingo was really great for, like you said, either you're picking up a brand new language or maybe supplementing the one that you are studying. And so if our listeners take away nothing from this other than that the three of us are super passionate about foreign language, here's here's a, a very hard and fast like takeaway that you could do, which is get Duolingo and start doing 15 minutes a day before you start back to school. And that may help your student improve um, in the classroom. And so that's a very concrete takeaway that you could have for this. Um, John, I also, you had mentioned um, when you were introducing yourself about the test that Duolingo offers, you know, in the past, it's really primarily been the TOEFL that um, international students would take. And Duolingo really um, is offering a counterpoint to that. And so I'm not sure. We do have listeners from all over the world, and I would love for you to um, talk a little bit more about that option and maybe how it differs from the TOEFL or just what makes it maybe a a better alternate to those others. Absolutely. Um, It's a great question. And yeah, for the international listeners out there and audience, thanks thanks for spending time with us today and and learning more about this. And and if you aren't as familiar with the DET or the Duolingo English test, and I'm delighted to spend just a few seconds to tell you about it. So yeah, we're we're six years old. um, And when we came on the scene, I kind of mentioned a little bit with my intro about seeing all the obstacles in the way of an international student. And, And kind of before we existed, a student would have to travel to a different city in many cases, a different country entirely, like our founder, Luis, when he was trying to take the TOEFL and apply to college uh, and countless other students I worked with uh, during my time internationally. Um, 
they pay a lot of money. We're talking three, four, five hundred dollars. In some countries, this equates to being like a month of a salary for an average person. And so not only is access key, but just like the physical location of it all, you have to go or you had to go to a brick and mortar spot. Um, and that was, you know, I think when we kind of started setting our eyes on that and could we create a test that, that could really change that, you know, Luis and others at our company couldn't believe that that hadn't changed in 20 or 30 years since they went through the process themselves. And so it was long overdue uh, for us to be able to use technology in a way to benefit students worldwide. We were already doing it with the app to help increase and allow education to be free for everyone out there who wants to learn a language. And this is a chance to kind of extend it. And this time it's a chance not to be free, but to be very close to free. And at $49 American, that is the most affordable test on the market. For a lot of students, um, this is just so simple and easy. For a lot of you out there, you've already been speaking English. And so to certify your English was really an even bigger hassle or obstacle. So for many students out there, it's as easy as let me just sign up and take this thing tonight. I have an hour and I can get it done. I don't need to prepare. If English is truly your second language, then I don't recommend just signing up and taking tonight, take a chance to use the free practice test to use our free 80 page PDF study guide and really get prepared to take the test. Um, but the nicest thing is, is that you don't need to go to a physical place. Like I said before, you just need Wi-Fi for an hour and a laptop that has a forward facing camera like this. Um, we won't get into the security and everything else that's going on, but suffice to say, just like the language app, we have test takers in every country out there in the world. Um, one of the cool parts about access specifically that we found when we were kind of doing a, an article last year was that in India, one of the largest markets in the world for education, um, there are 100 cities that have testing centers. And last year, we had test takers from over 1,000, I think it was around wow. 1,100 different towns and cities. And so just right there alone, the access, and now let's throw that exponentially around the world. Um, so that's what that is. So if you're an international student out there or you're an international counselor out there and this is helpful, then please tell your students to go check it out, see if it's a good option for them. Um, and as I mentioned, kind of in, in, in what my actual role with Duolingo is, um, that's one thing that luckily our team, our team has grown and our team has seen success with getting universities on board. So when I joined four or five years ago, four years ago, um, I, you know, there were, I'm not, I can't remember the number, five, 600 universities accepting us, maybe even less. And now it's close to 4,000. So wow. that has really changed exponentially um, during the last few years. And now it's, you know, uh, you say Duolingo English test or DET to a student studying abroad and they instantly know it. So now there's more of the brand recognition and the awareness that it could be a good option. And for most students, if, if a school accepts all three of the big tests, then most students are just going to say, hey, why don't I just stay at home and take the DET next weekend when I have an hour free versus all these other steps I have to, to, to talk to. So uh, that was maybe a little long-winded. I hope, <laughs> hope that was okay. But. Well, no, absolutely. And not only the hoops you have to jump through, but what happens if then you go get there and it gets canceled for some reason, right? Oh my gosh, it's canceled. Or you're a student with needs and they didn't prepare for you. Or there's there's not right. a ramp to get into the building. We had a great example years ago when we were still getting more universities on from a student who was applying to Barnard who went to take the test and she couldn't get into the center. Mm. And we uh, gave her, you know, an access coupon where she was able to take the test that weekend and still apply early and ended up at Barnard and a whole thing. But, or you get there and, and because you're in a room with 30 people and everyone's speaking and has their headphones on and, and you just don't perform your best, you have to wait for the results and now sign up to do it all again. Right. All in this time, you might not have a spot to actually sign up and take the test. So there were 
many, um, I think, inefficiencies that hopefully we are changing. Uh, we're also changing the efficiency of the process for college admissions officers and how it imports into their system, how they can read it, a lot of different ways like this that we thought we could probably be a little different, uh, as you were saying. The other thing that I'd say, because you asked me the differences, it's a little bit of a shorter test because it's computer mm -hmm. adaptive, so we don't need to spend two hours asking you questions that are way above your level or way beneath your level. We can adapt to you. Each individual test will adapt to the individual user. Um, and then we also uh, are the only test out there with the full access program. So we give away thousands and thousands of tests to, for free to universities to disseminate to students in need who cannot afford a test, as well as partnering with hundreds of CDOs and community-based organizations around the world, like Holly or Syrian Youth Assembly or Ukrainian Scholars Foundation or whatever that might be to make sure that students who really have no option, but again, have that desire to learn, have that desire mm -hmm. to be curious, really do want to come to university, have a chance to take an English proficiency test. Awesome. Thank you so much, John. Lisa, if you have any Final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners around studying foreign language or accessing Duolingo to help you with that. Um, would love for you to have a final final word here. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll just say sort of coming back to the study abroad uh, point as well is that, you know, one thing that study abroad, but also just learning a foreign language in the classroom really helps you with is is being more adaptable and flexible. And, and I think I probably said this before, but, you know, being able to kind of cope with change and transition. Um, and that's something that anybody who's thinking about going to college is going to have to do, right? You're about to embark on probably one of the biggest changes uh, of your life to date. And being able to do so while remaining open-minded and being willing to adjust to that change, meet new people from different backgrounds, connect with them, um, uh, have empathy for them and what they're going through uh, will help you in your relationships. It will help you in your studies. Um, and I think learning a foreign language just kind of helps you practice that on a day-to-day -day basis. You might not even realize because you're so focused on learning the vocabulary or memorizing the grammar um, that you don't realize that one thing that you're also doing in that world language classroom is adopting someone else's perspective every day by speaking their language, learning about how people do things in different parts of the world or from different cultures and learning how to respect that or observe it without judgment. Um, and those are the types of skills that you're going to need when you go away to college if you're going to be successful there. Um, so I would encourage everybody to to stick with it because it is a skill that you lose if you don't practice it. And uh, this won't be the last transition. This won't be the last major change that society undergoes while you're living in it. Um, and so uh, being able to to have a, a strong muscle that makes you um, adaptable and flexible is is really important. Yeah, I love that. And I I think it's true, and um, we're all preaching to each other and preaching to the choir, but hopefully our listeners are hearing us as well, um, that there's more to this than simply just, it's going to look good on your college applications. But if that's all you care about right now, it's going to look good on your college applications, but there's more to it than that. Um, John and Lisa, thank you both so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Sure. Best of luck to all the students out there in the process. Yes, for sure. Um, and uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about working in college, something I am also passionate about. So don't go away. 
When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We are talking about working in college, and joining me for that conversation is my colleague, Chrissy Ferran, who's also former financial aid officer at Gonzaga, Washington State, and Carrington College. Hi, Chrissy. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. It feels like it's been a little bit since you were on the show when I was hosting. I know. So welcome been a busy back. summer. I'm glad, I'm glad I'm back. I am too. I am too. Um, All right. So we're talking about working in college. As I've mentioned at the top of the hour and just before we went to break, I'm a big fan of working in college. Um, My own son is going to be working in college. That is where he's going to get his spending money. So I'm going to say right from the outset, if the question is, should you? My answer is 100%. (laughs) But let's talk about that. Um, Why? You know, why work in college? What are some of the pros that you see, Chrissy, in in working in college, especially from your perspective as um, uh, someone who specializes in the financial side of things? Yeah. And I worked in college, too, and it was great. I mean, it was one of the best things I did. And and there are so many good things about having a part-time job in college. I mean, even if you just work eight to 10 hours a week, so it doesn't have to be, you know, 20, 30 hours a week. So, there's a lot of different pros to to having a part-time job. One of them is is time management. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that a lot of parents or, or students know that, but there's been a number of studies done that show that even if students work, you know, eight hours, 10 hours, they can work up to 20 hours a week and, and your grades are improving because of that. Um, your, your grades are better typically than non-working peers. And you're more likely to persist in college if you actually have a part-time job while you're there. Um, so working just a few hours a week can really force students to manage your time better. So you're not just, you know, sitting around and, and kind of wondering what you should be doing or hanging out with your friends. It, it really allows you to, to kind of figure out that time. Um, money management skills. It's, it's huge for money management skills. If kids haven't worked in high school, um, getting a job in, in college can be a great way to introduce somebody into Basic things like how to read a paycheck, um, understanding what comes out of a paycheck, because you do get a paycheck when you're working part time, even on a college campus. Uh, you can use funds. The students can use funds to pay for whatever they want. Um, it's up to you know your parents, obviously, and you to discuss that. But they can pay for books. They can pay for living expenses, um, for entertainment. 
they can use it to contribute toward bringing down loan debt so that you're not borrowing so much. Um, so it can teach students really how to budget their own money um, along with their own wants and needs so that they don't get out of college and kind of get slapped in the face with, oh my gosh, now what do I do? I've never worked. I've never had a job. Um, yeah. It can, yeah, it, it, you know, experience, it, it gives you great experience. So even, you know, just working on a college campus in an administrative office or, um, you know, so it doesn't have to be a, a, a job that, that you think is, you know, something that's going to be your career. Um, just getting transferable job skills and and learning things that you like to do and things that you don't like to do. Maybe you want to major in IT, and so you can get a job, you know, working in the IT department, doing things a few hours a day. So it it provides really valuable experience, regardless of what your job duties are. Um, it it allows you to learn how to work with others. It allows you to be on time. Um, you have to learn to be on time to go to your job and, and you don't want to keep showing up somewhere where you're late. And so by doing that, you you gain all of that experience. You Sometimes you can learn customer experience, how to deal with customers, depending on where you're working. Um, yeah. You can learn how to communicate. I mean, there's so many, there's so many networking, you know, it, 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 you find friends outside of the classrooms. And I know with you having somebody who's going off to college, I think it's important to be able to establish relationships when you're on a college campus. And so if you're going to a college and you're a student that doesn't know anybody, a job is a great way to get to know people really quickly. So you can get to know faculty and staff. You can get to know um, other students who might be working on campus. So if you're not somebody who just instantly joins clubs, jobs are a great way, especially on campus, to really get into the, the campus life and activity and, and put yourself out there so that you do have a, a community of people who can help you um, if you need that and you have resources. So um, and you know, for you, they, they have a good set of adults looking after them. So when your kids are on campus, you know, it can provide some peace of mind for parents. Um, so when I was in a financial aid office, <clears throat> we had work study students working for us all the time, which you probably did too, when you were working on college mm-hmm. campuses, they were really part of our team. You know, we would celebrate birthdays and any of their accomplishments. We gave them time to do homework and, and, and study, you know, so we were really bought into them and wanted to make sure that they succeeded. So, um, I think, you know, that and, and getting ahead of competition. So if you are able to get a part-time job doing something that you think you want to do in a career, that looks great on a resume. That's something that, you know, can, if, if you can find something that fits your career goals, um, you know, working as a, a, in IT, like I said, or working in a fitness center or uh, working in a library. So any kind of work experience that can give you kind of that edge when you graduate from college is, is really better than none at all. It, it, it looks great on a resume. It's less overwhelming for you when you get out of college. So I know I, that's a ton of information, but <laughs> there, there's so much, there's so many good reasons to, to be working right. part-time while you're in school. And you know, it's fun. Yeah. I, well, and I would add, uh, um, not add really to that so much as add some color to that. For starters, there actually are a number of people who work here at College Coach who did start their careers on a college yeah. campus, right? That yep. It sort of makes sense, right? They worked in the admissions office. They worked in the financial aid office. So yeah. it certainly could be the start of something big. I personally, I never did. I came to admissions a totally roundabout way that most people don't come to it that way. Um, But one thing when you were talking that that reminded me is I feel like a lot of a lot of the students that we talk to, not all, certainly not all and not probably not even the majority, but many of the students that we talk to have never had a job before they get to college. Um, It's a it's something that's happening right now where parents feel like, well, his job is to do well in school. 
are, you know, her job is to do this fancier internship rather than working at a friendlies. And at the risk of sounding like when I was in school, I walked uphill both ways in a snowstorm with no boots. Um, You know, I had some pretty menial jobs when I was not only in high school, but also in college. I worked the grill at friendlies. I served food on one of those like, you know, cafeteria style restaurants at the mall where you go through and you get your food. I waited tables. I was a cocktail waitress. I catered uh, that didn't last long because let me tell you, when the very first night you show up for work and it starts at four o'clock in the afternoon and you don't get out until five o'clock in the morning, yeah. that was not for me. Not That's for not- me at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, but so it was part of what you're saying, like you learn what you like and what you don't like. But also yeah. for me, it was very valuable to work at a place where your job was the lowest on the totem pole. And by the way, you weren't going to be promoted for the most part, because that's not what you were there to do. I was there to serve the customers. I wasn't there to manage the people serving the customers. And I think there's value in that, in understanding all the roles that play a part. And as I have grown in my own career and watch people coming into the working world, I, I see those who have that humility, who understand the whole concept of, you know, this is the job that I'm doing now. I see opportunities for the future, but I also see that I, I could do a really good job at this thing that I'm doing, and that can be enough for a little bit. And I see a lot of value in that when you get your first job out of college versus sometimes the student who has only ever focused on the fancy jobs and the jobs designed to get them really great experience when they inevitably land where they, where everybody starts at the beginning, right. that can be really like, well, it's wait shocking. a second. It can mm-hmm. be, it can be really shocking. And I think college is a great place to kind of get a little bit of, get that exposure um, and see what that is see what that's like. And it makes you more comfortable and more accustomed. And the last thing I'll comment in is your comment about showing up on time. That seems like a basic skill set, but you know, it does show up on time and do what you say you're going to do. If you could do those two things, I really feel you could be successful in almost any field and nothing will teach you that better than just a simple job that you have in high school or college where you have to show up on time and then do the work that you are hired to do. Yeah. And just, you know, right now, just social skills, you know, I mean, with COVID and and everybody being locked indoors and and being on our phones, a lot of people don't, I mean, you're, you're doing, you're on your phone all the time. So being working somewhere where you can be social and you're, you're almost forced to be social if you're in that customer service industry. And I mean, that can be huge for, for rounding out who you can be and who you can become. I, I, I totally agree. And actually, great point, because during COVID, one of the things that my son did was get a job. And mm-hmm. so every day, well, we joke that that's one of the reasons we couldn't see anybody because I had someone like a COVID carrier just going out into the world, working <laughs> right. at a grocery store and bringing it all back home. But luckily, yeah. we were all fine. We all got through it, masked up and did all of those things. But <laughs> I think it was really beneficial to his mental health to get out yeah. of the house where it was yeah. literally just my husband, our two dogs, and him. And, yeah. you know, at a certain point, it's good to be out there and be a little bit more social. So I think, agree with everything. Absolutely. So clearly we're fans. Any clearly. negatives <laughs> Any negatives that you could identify about working during college? 
You know, there, there aren't a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, there's not a lot of negatives to work during college. I think one of the things you really want to be mindful of is that you don't work too much during college. So yeah. I did, I was one of those people that at one point I was working 40 hours a week and mm-hmm. it's hard to keep everything straight and study and do everything that you need to do in life while you're working. And so, you know, I mean, I talk to, to working adults now who are getting degrees. And so, I mean, it, as a college student, as a first time college student, especially, I think you just want to be mindful, like working over 20 hours a week can really take away from the other time that you need to devote to studying, um, communicating, having friends, having fun, doing the college things that, that the reason that you go to college to and finding the things that you love, um, any extracurricular activities. So I think you just really want to make sure that you balance it out so that you're not overwhelmed because then that is when things kind of start to fall apart and, and grades can falter. And so, you know, working eight hours, 10 hours, you know, whatever works for you, whatever department you like to work in or things that you find, um, just be mindful of not working too much, I think, is one of the biggest downsides there can be anyway. Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously, there are far more people in this country who are working full time and going to school part time than the reverse. So if you are doing more traditional college, the point is that you that's difficult. You probably should be working part time and doing school full time. And that's the ratio we're after here. And And that's that's the great thing about with with, uh, like work study students. When we had students working on campus, we were really mindful of the fact that they were there to learn and get and get a job. Eventually, this was not their primary focus was our job that they had filing papers for us. You know, we, we made sure that they knew, Okay, go study and take your time. So that was that was the great thing I think about having uh, jobs on campus is that the campus is surrounding you and they're supporting you in that. Right. No, absolutely. And so let's let's talk a little bit about the how, right? How you get a job because as I mentioned earlier, there are many students out there who have never had a job before. If they've done an internship or something like that, it's often a friend of the families who's been able to hook them up, or maybe it was a teacher who knew somebody, or you yeah. know they've kind of networked. And networking is great, um, but if you're brand new to a college, you may not have a network there. So, what are some ways that you recommend um, students go about finding these opportunities? Yeah, so I think one of the the best resources for getting a part time job really can be the college or the university itself. So. Um, If you are one of those people that's going to a a more traditional college, a a four-year public, four-year private, two-year public, a lot of times those colleges themselves will offer some kind of student employment. So one of the best places to really start, I think, is the college's website. So once you've decided on a school that you're going to, really, you know, go to that college's website, just go to the search tab and type in student employment um, campuses can have <clears throat> different employment. So some, some college campuses can have what they call work study, which are jobs that our students can get based on filing the FAFSA, the financial aid application. And then you have to be eligible. You have to be eligible for need-based aid to qualify for that kind of work study. But many campuses will offer both of those. So they'll offer work study jobs. They'll offer regular student and employment jobs. So if you're one of those that's, no, we're not going to qualify for anything or we're not filling out a FAFSA, you still do have the options for most campuses that offer employment to get jobs without having to have that work study. So I would make sure to file a FAFSA to see if you if you qualify. But otherwise, just looking, you know, a lot of campuses have student employment offices. So when you get on campus, you can actually go to the office and look at the jobs. But a lot of them now are posting the jobs online prior to semester starting. So, you know, in the summer, you can always take a look at that. Um, 
And a lot of times, you know, if, if you're not looking for a job on campus, a lot of times campuses themselves will have kind of boards where they're posting part-time jobs off campus as well. So, but I would definitely, you know, the easiest thing I think is to start with the campus itself because it's great if you can live and work on that campus and not have to take buses and find transportation to get to your job every night. Yeah, no, I would agree with that for sure. I was a work study student. I was I had access to the work study jobs. Um, one, I think, when I first got to campus, everyone said, "Oh, work study, you can work in the dining hall." But for sure, there were many other opportunities beyond that. And while yes. I I never did work in the dining hall, I did do food service for my first year in college. And then my second year, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. No more food service. I need to do something different. <laughs> and um, and there were all kinds of interesting work-study positions there. Um, I ended up doing, um, doing some writing for an alumni magazine at the business school on campus. And that was a work-study job that I found in the work study listings. Um, I did work at the student union um, as a cashier and that wasn't a terrible job because I basically sat there and read magazines for free, which was really cool. When magazines were still a thing. Um, (laughs) And I did go off campus for one job, but I I think your point is a really good one. That was a pain because I didn't have a car and I had to take a bus and um, it was an, a good, it was an interesting job. I was working for a nonprofit and I was putting together flyers, designing flyers for them. But the reality is that it was hard to get to and the work wasn't that exciting. And so I, I did that for a semester, but then I was done with that because of what yeah. you were talking about. And the rest of my, my jobs were all on campus and that made it a lot easier. So. And, and, and you're right. It is amazing the different jobs you can get now on campus. Like when I went to college, we didn't have cafes on campus. We just, like you said, we had dining halls. And so you literally just went to a big hall and that's where the food was. And now they have restaurants and cafes. And so, I mean, if you do want to be a barista, you, you could probably do that on your campus. Um, but yeah, there's so, you can do tutoring. You know, you were talking about doing writing. You can work in a fitness center. So if you want to be a lifeguard or, you know, just check people in. Um, be a library assistant. You can work in a bookstore. Um, a lot of times with, you know, if they have campus-based housing on your campus with dorms and things, you can work in campus-based housing if they offer that. So it really depends on the schools you're looking at and, and what they offer. But it, it is amazing the different things that you can do just based on staying on the campus itself. And, you know, I had a, I didn't realize they had work study when I went to college. So I did work off campus and I was lucky enough to walk to my deli that I worked at. But but right. it is. It's hard to coincide all of that. And, and they don't really support you as much as a campus work study job would support you in your studying like like they do. So. Right. Right. And to your point, there are different types of campuses. Right. So if you're on a campus in the middle of the city, the better job for you might be at that restaurant that is a step from your dorm, but technically yeah. is not on campus. And where I was, really the opportunities, the, everything was about the campus. And so to go to the, the town that the that the school was located in was a whole thing. It was a whole track. <laughs> it was the town. <laughs> so it was a little different. Um, and yeah, so thank you so much, Chrissy. I really appreciate you joining today. Any final words on, on working before we uh, before we close out the show? Um, I just think the best time to apply is before the semester starts. So if you have a child going off to college in the fall, make sure you're starting sometime, you know, in the summer to be looking on their websites and and seeing if they've got some jobs posted online. And 
Um, you know, just see if they can get a little resume put together for themselves because it's going to be more like applying for a job. They're going to probably do interviews and things like that. So, yeah, I think if they can just kind of get prepared for that and do it prior to getting to campus, they'll have a lot better luck getting the jobs that they want. I love it. You are my second guest in um, two shows, in as many shows, to make that point about looking before you get to campus. And um, my son does not appreciate it. So (laughs) (laughs) now he's got work. (laughs) As soon as we hang up, I'm going to be texting him again to say, hey, we talked about this last week. Have you done it yet? So (laughs) absolutely. He is sending a message to you that he wants you to zip it and stop talking about this. (laughs) It's like, please stop. (laughs) Please stop. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chrissy. Um, I appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much, Beth. Have a great day. All right. So thank you to Chrissy and to all my guests today. Next week, I am back. We're going to be talking about getting started on the Common Application, the Coalition Application. And we're also going to be talking about um, accessing your credit report, why you might want to do that, how that relates to paying for college, things like that. Um, Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I make this plea every time, but I would really appreciate it if you would leave us a review. Um, It helps others to find us. It makes it easier um, for other families who are in the situation that you're in to get our help. Um, And don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.